Hello and welcome to the Outpost Community Church Sunday Podcast. My name is Greg and we are currently going through a series in Matthew and we are so glad you tuned in. If you'd like to hear more about the vision and mission of Outpost Community Church, you can go to our website at outpostcommunity.org and you will find it there. Otherwise, we pray that you have a wonderful week of worship and that this message would inspire you to follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, you guys can grab your Bibles. You can go to Joshua chapter 3 and 4. <clears throat> I'm glad to be able to preach to you guys and share this morning. It's going to be a sweet morning, isn't it? It's going to be good, isn't it? It's already kind of good. It's only, we could only make things worse. I don't know if we can make things much better. Uh, I want to read you guys a story about a man named General Percival, Arthur Percival. Anybody heard of him? Of course not. Okay, you haven't heard of this man, neither did I. During the 1940s, during World War II, there was a, this man was a, an example of what happens when poor leadership is in charge. The consequences of having men who do not have courage and strength and integrity in the face of challenge. There's a picture of him you could barely see on there. Um, General Arthur uh, Percival was a British military officer who was tasked with defending the British colony of Singapore against the invading Japanese in February of 1942. Singapore was considered a highly strategic location, and it was believed to be heavily fortified, making it seem impregnable. However, Percival was a cautious and hesitant leader. He lacked boldness and strategic acumen required to effectively defend against the Japanese offensive. Despite having a significant number of troops and defensive fortifications, Percival made a series of critical mistakes during the defense of Singapore. When the Japanese launched their attack, Percival failed to counter their advances effectively. He spread his troops out too thinly across the island, hoping to protect every possible point of entry. And this resulted in a weakened defense overall, and as his troops were unable to respond swiftly to the enemy movements. Now, furthermore, Percival was indecisive in his command. Listen. When faced with crucial choices during the battle, he delayed making the critical decisions, often waiting for orders from his superiors in London. The lack of quick action and leadership allowed the Japanese to exploit weaknesses in the British defense. Long story short, General Percival, his lack of courage and poor decision-making resulted in the fall of Singapore to the Japanese in February 15, 1942. It was a devastating feat, and it was one of the largest surrenders in British military history. 80,000 British, Indian, and Australian troops became prisoners of war because of his lack of courage and spine. The fall of Singapore had a significant repercussions for the Allies during World War II, and it was a stark reminder of the consequences of leadership failures in times of crisis. General Percival's inability to lead his men with courage and decisiveness ultimately cost the lives of many brave soldiers and dealt a heavy blow to the British war effort in the Pacific Theater. Last week, we talked about, in Numbers 13 and 14, the consequences of having poor leadership. And I think General Percival is another example to us of what happens when men will just not make the decisions they know they need to make. When fear grips their heart, rather than a love for their men, a decidedness, not seeking the approval of what the superiors may say in London, but making a decision to save the men right in front of them. And so I, I would say this, and I think most of you guys would agree. What's the need here? Why do I tell you that story? We need men and women in the church who are strong and courageous. Amen? We need men and women in the church who are strong and courageous in the face of physical and spiritual opposition. Followers of Jesus who stand up for what is true and speak out against the lies of the enemy. Who did I say last week is our enemy? Is it flesh and blood? Who is it? Satan. If you do not believe that spiritual powers and forces, if you do not believe they exist, as C.S. Lewis says, they've already won the war with you. They do exist. 
We need leaders who do not rely on consensus when God's word is clear. They stand on God's word. They make a decision. Confident and courageous leaders, yet humble and patient. Last week, we talked about the consequences of not having this kind of leadership in the church. One of the, some of the consequences of not having this in the church is that the weakened are taken advantage of. Our families will begin to get fractured when men and women do not stand on what God's word says. Don't speak up about the truth. A nation will be weakened and the, vul- the vulnerable among us will be abused. Prideful, tyrannical men will take leadership. And that's what will happen. When the church doesn't stand up, the problem in the United States is not having to do with either one of the parties in our political system. It has everything to do with the strength of the church. Amen. Where are the Christian courageous men? <clears throat> so now the question is, but what does it look like when courageous and steadfast leadership are involved? What does it look like when men and women filled with the spirit of Christ believe and trust in Jesus? What does it look like? What kind of impact could that have? And number two, how do you become somebody like that? Anybody want to know? I kind of wanted to know. I read the Bible every day going, what does it look like to be a courageous follower of Jesus? Now, there's a, a man in the Bible, starts with a J, rhymes with Jesus. He's a good guy to look at. What's his name? Jesus. So what does it look like? So here's my thesis. One of the key, we're going to look at a practice we started last week. One of the key practices of courageous and confident leadership is a, is a practice of celebration and remembrance. Singing and partying over the good things of God and remembering the good things of God. Celebration and remembrance. When men and women recognize the power and love of God and choose to celebrate and remind themselves regularly of his love and power, they are strengthened to, uh, they are strengthened to care for their generation and the next. Do you believe that's true? Do you think that thesis statement is true biblically? Raylan, what do you think? That's cool. We're waiting. Go ahead. I just kidding. I'm messing with you. You're okay. Anybody else want to get up and leave? <laughs> yeah. Be strong and courageous, Raylan. Come back. My thesis statement is that one of the, when we celebrate and remember, which today, what do we do with our, with our songs today, guys? And we celebrated. Look, I know in this room we have some men and women who lost a child this past week. In this room we have people who are really struggling what to do with their jobs. We've got men and women who are struggling in their marriage, don't know where to go, don't know what to do, feel like they don't even know each other. It's not easy following Jesus. But today, we get to sing. Remind ourselves that even though there's a mountain in front of us, we know, God, you'll get us through it. In the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For who's with me? Jesus. We sing, we remind ourselves. So today, we're going to look at this practice. So well, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at a man who serves as an example, a man who remembered... We're going to talk about stones of remembrance, and then we're going to talk about how those stones are for the next generation. So we're going to, let's look at a man who remembered. Last week in Joshua chapter 3, 1, I read to you guys this verse. It says, then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. He rose early in the morning. Let me remind you, last week uh, we talked about in Numbers 13 and 14. Numbers 13 and 14 goes with Joshua 3 and 4. In between, the, in between those two passages is chaos and pain. And the reason why there's chaos and pain is because Joshua and, and his friend Caleb, were to one, they were both one of 12 men who were picked to go spy out this land that God had promised the people of Israel. you remember this? If you weren't here, let me remind you. Uh, they were called to go spy out the land, the land that God had promised to give them. God says, I will give you this land. Follow me. Trust me. So they go to spy it out. And was the land good? The land was great. But when they come back, there's 10 men who do not believe that God can lead them in. They actually are so afraid of the giants of the land in spite of how good the land is and in spite of how great God is that they go, we can't do it. We can't go in. And Joshua and Caleb, they rip their clothes and go, you, we have to do this. Our God will lead us through. And so what ended up happening was the nation of Israel said, we're not going to do it. In fact, they say, we're going to kill you, Joshua and Caleb, because that's what, that's what evil men love to do with courageous men. They like to kill them. How do you silence those who challenge Satan? You kill those who speak up about it. 
Why do you think it's so hard for us to speak up about our faith? Because Satan wants to make you feel that if you speak up, he's going to come after you. The truth is, he will. But Caleb says, as for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord, right? He says that later on. So Joshua and Caleb, they stand up right before they are going to be murdered for believing and trusting in God, murdered for their faith in God. God shows up at the temple, which just wrecks everything. And it just stops everything. Everybody has to drop their stones because God's there. And so what ends up happening is God says, hey, the consequences of your lack of faith in me is for the 40 days that you spied out the land, you're going to walk 40 years in the wilderness. And every one of you men are going to die. Once you're dead, then I'll lead a new generation into the promised land. That takes us to Joshua 3 and 4. But there's only two men he says he's going to take in. Who are they? Why is he going to take them in? Because they believed in God. They had faith in him. They still had to suffer the consequence of what everybody else did. But now in Joshua 3, what does it say about Joshua? He got up early. Anybody in here 40 years old? 40? Anybody? 40 is a long time. 40 is a long time. And for 40 years, Joshua waited to see God do the thing that God said he would do. And so he believed in God. And so the morning that it's time to get up and get ready, we're going to cross the Jordan. We're going in. He doesn't wait for his alarm to get off. He go off. He gets up early. You hear that? You feel that? So I want to tell you about three things about a man who remembered Joshua. Three things are that he believed, he had humility, and he had obedience. And how does remembrance fuel belief? Well, in verse 5, he says, the Lord will do wonders. So Joshua, Joshua believed that God was going to do the thing he said he, would, he was going to do. And Joshua carried in his heart a belief that God would do wonders. And that belief was fueled by what God had done in his life. I want you to think about what this 80-ish year old man had seen in his life. In the first 40 years of his life, he lived as a slave to the strongest national power in that part of the world at that time. And so maybe he carried some scars on his back from being whipped, from not making enough bricks. And those scars reminded him of the days of his slavery. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved the Israelites, came and with mighty power rescued Joshua from his slavery to the Egyptians and brought him through the Red Sea into the wilderness. You think he remembered that? Absolutely, he remembered that. He probably remembered the mighty wonders. He probably saw them vividly in his mind, how, he just, how God destroyed the enemies. He remembered the first time he ever sang the song of Moses, a worship song about the might of God. He probably remembered the first time he tasted manna that came from God knows where, pun intended. And when God sent quail, the first time he ever seen that happen in the wilderness, and when the water came from the rock, he probably remembered how it had tasted to be so thirsty and see rock, water come from the middle of nowhere. He probably remembered his name being picked out of a hat to spy out the land of promise, and he probably remembered the grapes and the honey that he tasted over 40 years later that he had in that land. He also probably remembered the faithlessness of those 10 other chiefs who did not believe in God. He probably remembered seeing the look in their eyes when they picked up stones to kill him and his brother Caleb. But he also remembered that before they could, God showed up to rescue him. Now, as he woke up early, Joshua believed that after 40 years of waiting, God would fulfill what he promised. And then Joshua said to the people, look at verse 5, consecrate yourselves, which means to set yourselves apart for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. He didn't say, consecrate yourself, and if you do that well, God might do something among you. What does he say? God will do wonders. He believes in God because of what he remembered God has already done. Do you hear that? I think everyone in this room needs to hear that. What has God done in your life? So remembering created belief. It created a faith in Joshua. Not a said faith, a saving faith. Listen to me. Not a faith you prayed at camp. Not a faith you prayed on a Sunday and then you left and completely forgot about. A faith that has teeth. A faith that has courage and consequence. A real faith. So remembering brought about belief and faith, but remembering also brought about humility. Look at verse 7 of Joshua chapter 3. The Lord said to Joshua, Today... I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. 
that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. All right. Remembering created humility in Joshua. You go, wait a second. This is all about lifting up. This is all about elevating. Here's the thing you need to know about God. God does not elevate the proud. He elevates the humble. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, right after what uh, Jake read earlier, it says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he might exalt you. The reason that Joshua is being elevated, men, is because Joshua, Joshua had become a humble man. A humble man. There's so much in this verse I think we can learn from, friends. But just simply put, I want you to know, uh, I've heard a friend say it like this. If you try to do God's job, God will do your job. If you seek to elevate yourself in the presence of men, God will come along and he will humble you. But if you seek to humble yourself before the Lord, you'll be amazed at how God will elevate you in rooms that you don't belong to, you don't belong in. That is what God does. And so God elevates him because he remained humble. He exalts him. Now, here's the second thing. Why does God exalt Joshua in front of the people? What is it? Who did he say it's for? Is it for Joshua? No. He says, I will exalt you so that they will know that I am with you. Joshua already knew God is with me. I don't need you guys to believe that. God is already with me. I believe that. Can you say that? Or are you waiting for everybody around you to tell you that God is with you? Do you believe that God is with you? Man, if you believe that God's with you and you stay humble, he will exalt you. And others around you will see that too, and it will create a courage and confidence. That's why God elevates Joshua. He already knew God was with him. He didn't care what everybody else thinks. But God does it because he wants the people to follow his man. You know God always wants to use men. God's eyes go to and fro over the earth looking for men whose hearts are hard after him that he can strongly support. You may know where that comes from? Your Bible. Chronicles. God is looking for men. I, I think there's some in here. So remembering creates humility and proper remembrance. When you look back and go, man, if it wasn't for this, it's, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for that, man, I wouldn't know Jesus. I wouldn't even be here today. Uh, side note, every time I talk to somebody and they're like, they're, they're hardcore against predestination, I go, tell me your story. And they always go, well, if it wasn't for this, and if it wasn't for that, and if it wasn't for this, and if it was and I go, it sounds like God had just predetermined all these things to happen that you had no control over, and now you know Jesus. Amen. And they're like, what? Yeah. yeah, and I go, listen, it, so just to calm everybody down, it's both. You have choices, and God's doing things, <laughs> and you can't, you can't do anything about it. It's both. So don't freak out. I don't, I don't think you're a sinner if you believe otherwise. It just might not be as biblical as you should be. Okay? It's okay. But God... God, has he not? God, Christians in the room, can you look back at your history and you remember moments where you're like, man, this and then this and then this and then this. I mean, if you don't even know Jesus in the room, your job, the job you have right now, are there any miracles in that job? Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at you, Carson. I remember your, just your ringtone, right? There was some like significance around the ringtone you get in your job. It's weird that I remember this right now, Right? Just how God works in these crazy, mysterious ways to take you to places where and I, I'm so thankful God worked in that way because now we know each other. Oh, my heart's full of joy. All right, so there we go. Let's keep going. Hey, the next thing is proper remembrance. Proper remembrance creates obedience. It should. It creates obedience. Look at verse 8. As for you, command, this is God talking to Joshua. As for you, Joshua, command the priest to bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, listen to these words, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Come and listen to God. He's got something he wants you to do. Now, how many of you guys have heard that God wants you to do something? Anybody in here? Any Christians in here? Okay. And you heard the guy wants you to do a few things. Anybody ever, anybody ever forget? Anybody ever uh, know the right thing to do, yet go do that other thing that you shouldn't do? Anybody in here? Okay, me? Both hands. Okay? Jo uh, Proverbs 26, 11, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Any fools in the room? 
Joshua right here is saying, listen, guys, I need to tell you what the Lord says. Let's go do it. Let's not repeat what we did in Numbers 13 and 14. Let's just choose to do what God's called us to do. Let's do it this time. Come and hear what the Lord has for us to do. And so remembering created obedience in Joshua's heart. He goes, listen, I, I ain't got time to wait around for another 40 years. I'll be dead. Okay? You see Moses? No, you don't, because he died. All right? Because that man was 120 years old. All right? I ain't got time for this. I need you to trust in the Lord. We're going in. So let's trust in the Lord. I've heard this saying before. I tested the warnings of God and found them to be true. Anybody test the warnings of God? Anybody find them to be true? Gosh. And so now I want to test his promises. Uh, I think a woman who exemplifies how remembering, how remembering creates belief, it creates humility, and it creates obedience is Corey Ten Boom. You guys ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian woman who, along with her family, helped Jews escape Nazi persecution during World War II. Corey's family ran a watchmaking business in Harlem, Netherlands. They were devout Christians, and their faith was the driving force behind their actions during the war. Now, as the Nazis occupied the Netherlands, the Ten Boom family joined the Dutch resistance, using their home as a hiding place for Jews and others who hunted, who were being hunted by the Nazis. They built a secret compartment in their house known as the hiding place. Her book is called The Hiding Place. I recommend you read it. Where they concealed Jewish refugees, providing them with food, shelter, and safety. Isn't that courageous? In February of 1944, the Tim Boone family was betrayed and arrested by the Gestapo. Corey, along with her father and sister, were sent to the concentration camps. Corey's father died only 10 days after their arrest. Corey's faith in God sustained her during her time in the concentration camps. She relied on God's strength to endure the deplorable conditions and constant fear for her life. Despite the immense suffering, Corey remained steadfast in her belief in God's goodness and faithfulness. Listen. In a miraculous turn of events, on December 31st, 1944, Corey was mistakenly, mistakenly released from the Ravensbrück concentration camp due to a clerical error. Somebody meant to write this. They wrote that. She was set free. Listen. She later learned that all of the women her age in her group were executed a week later. Now listen. Corey attributed her unexpected release to God's intervention and purpose for her life. She celebrated that celebration and said, this doesn't just have meaning for a moment. It has meaning for the rest of my life. This got tested. After the war, Corey returned to the Netherlands and dedicated her life to sharing her experience and her faith. She traveled the world speaking about forgiveness, love, and the, God's power to bring hope even in the darkest times. One of the most powerful moments in Corey's life came when she met one of the cruelest former Nazi guards from the Raisenbrook uh, who had persecuted her and her sister. The man had become a Christian and asked for forgiveness. I've heard, anybody ever heard her tell this story? You can listen to it online. Go listen to it. She just taught about forgiveness, and she sees this man, and she sees him coming to walk up to her. This is a man who was a part of seeing her sister and her father die. And he came to ask her for forgiveness. Now, here's a moment. Here's a Jordan River. Here's a Canaan full of millions of men who want to fight against you to keep you from being in there. Here's a, your boss is going to be against you. Here's a, your English teacher is against the faith and wants to persecute you. There's a moment. And in this moment, she has to decide, do I believe that God is faithful and will I trust him? And she says in that moment, because of what God had done in her life, though she didn't deserve it, she extended forgiveness to a man who didn't deserve it. Do you see what remembering does for present and future faithfulness? We have to remember. Corey Tim Boom, her story exemplifies that believing in God's past faithfulness and experiencing his grace during challenging times can provide a hope and strength for right now. Anybody in here needs some hope and needs some strength? What you probably need is to remember how God has been faithful to you. And when you remember how God has been faithful to you, what God has done, though you didn't deserve it, 
It's going to create humility. It's going to create obedience. It's going to create faith in you like you've never had before. Your biggest problem, friends, is that you forget so easily. You will leave this room, and all you'll think about is what you're going to eat next and how you can nap. So are you properly remembering God's story in your life? If you do, humble yourself. Obey his word. Do what he says. So this is a man, Joshua, who remembered. And he gets up early and says, we're taking the land. You hear what God has said? That's what we're going to do. And while I'm in charge, this is where we're going. And I don't want to hear anybody argue with you. You pick up a stone, I swear, I will end your life. So today we're going to talk about stones of remembrance uh, in this next section because they are going to pick up stones, and he's going to send 12 more men to pick up stones. But are these stones to kill the faithful? It's to remind themselves of the faithfulness of God. God's word, y'all, is so much better than anything you could ever come up with. This whole garbage about it's a bunch of men and put it together over time. It's like, listen, just take a moment. Stop reading Reddit, okay? And just like go find out. Read your Bible. I guarantee you it's far more brilliant than what men can come up with. Check out what happens next. So if we just slow down and take a time to remember and reflect on all God has done, a deep and rich belief in God will awaken within us. Now, here's the thing. There are t- dozens, hundreds, thousands of ways that God's done it. But ac- occasionally, God will do something that is what I will call a gracious gift or a gracious proof. I'm sorry. All right? A gracious proof. Anybody ever have a moment you go, this is just different? Like God proved himself to you, and it was just different. Okay, it wasn't he just, he, thank you for this meal, Lord, and the bread that made it to this table. That's great. That's super significant. Like, thank you, I was going to die, you rescued me. Thank you, I was going to take my own life, somebody interrupted. I have a friend down in Dallas. He uh, ruined his life, ran away from his family. He kept selling, he, was, he stole $20,000 worth of equipment from Watermark and was selling it to buy drugs. And he ran out of everything, couldn't live with his family. He's walking down uh, in downtown Dallas looking for something to steal so he could sell it to go buy more drugs. And as he's walking, a piece of paper blew up and got stuck on his shin. And he reached down to get it off his shin, and he looked at it and says, Jesus loves you. That man works at Watermark right now, and he's in charge of the facilities. (sighs) So gracious proof. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 10. Joshua said, here is how you shall know. You ready for the gracious proof? that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. This is how, it's, this is how you're going to know. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord and the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in a heap. Does this sound familiar? So when the people set set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, okay, listen, he says, this is what's going to happen. Verse 14. They set out from the... That was cute. I don't know what that was. Um... If you're listening to this on recording, somebody sneezed like a small bunny rabbit. <laughs> so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, which is 30 miles away the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, which is the Dead Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. 601,000 warriors and their families. Is that not crazy? I was having a conversation with a friend about this, and I was like, it wasn't that God caused like 
an accidental miracle, like rocks fell in from the Jordan Valley and poured into the river and it blocked it and caused a dam. Beavers would, were chopping down trees in the Jordan River and it caused. No, it's like it just stood up in a heap. When you see water standing up in a heap and there's no reason, you got to go, you have to reason in your head, God's doing something. Because it doesn't make any sense. Water doesn't do that, does it? Now, this is a miracle of all miracles, and I think it deserves a lot more than a, well, that's crazy, right? Do you think the guys that just got across the river are like, how about that, huh? Right? It deserves a little bit more than that, doesn't it? It's not, it's not like, it's not a, well, that's crazy. I think a lot of times, I say that, and I say it that way because I think a lot of times I will chalk things up to happenstance or to accident that really are the Lord. And guys, there's no such thing as coincidence. Our God is the God who controls all coincidences. He's involved. He knows all things. It's not an accident. So it, it, what needs to happen is just like Corey Tim Boom attributed the clerical error saving her life, and it fueled a life of devotion, this is a gracious proof to the Israelites that God just did something, and you need to remember it. And why do they need to remember it, friends? Joshua 3.10. Here's how you will know that God is among you and that he will without fail drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, the Amorites, Jebusites, giants in the land. These are the exact same people that 40 years ago they were terrified to go in. Now they're crossing. And he's saying, listen, your fathers were afraid and they died in the wilderness. Do not be afraid. And here's your proof. Look at verse, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Turn over to chapter 4. It says this. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel. As Moses had told them, about 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. Listen, crossing the Jordan was just one problem. The next problem was that there were tribes and clans ready to murder them when they got across. And they go across armed, ready for war. I think a lot of us, we accept Jesus and we believe in Christ and we cross over from, life, from death to life. We cross through the wrath of God, which he pushed back so that you could walk through on dry ground. And we forget when we become Christians that we still have a battle to fight. That Ephesians 6 says, you need to take up the armor of God. Man, you need a breastplate of righteousness. You need a shield of faith. You need a helmet of salvation. You need a belt of truth. You need feet ready with the gospel. And brother, you're going to need a sword. And the sword is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul, your Bible does not tell you you become a Christian, and it's just going to be pretty. It's going to be sweet. You're going to have good food from here on out. Nobody's going to bother you, right? Difficult people don't exist in the promised land. You become a Christian, and it gets worse. But it also gets better because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so they need to be reminded. And you go, man, why do they need to be reminded? It's crazy that they have to be reminded. You just went through the Jordan. Didn't you see the water stack up at Adam? Like, why in the world would you not believe? Well, just remember, guys, Exodus 15, they sang a song. Why do they sing the song? They sang it because God just saved them from slavery to the most powerful nation in the world. They sang a worship song. A year later, in Numbers 13 and 14, they completely forgot it. How many of you guys would just forget? A year later, you were, you were trusting the Lord this day, a week later, a day later. Oh, Lord, where are you? It's because we forget so easily. And Joshua says, this is how you're going to know. This is how you're going to know. And so this is a little bit more than a wow, that was crazy. You got to do something a little more. So go to Joshua chapter 4, 1 through 6. Let me read this to you. When all the nation had finished passing over Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each, man, or from each tribe a man. Does this sound familiar? Joshua was like, not this again. And command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you are going to lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. Take up each one of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. 
Look at the brilliance of God. Twelve men went to spy out the land of Canaan in Numbers 13. Twelve men and, and Joshua. Joshua is one of the twelve men who was sent in Numbers 13. He's in the, now the man in Joshua 4 who's sending the twelve. In Numbers 14, they wanted to stone Joshua for his faith in God. Now Joshua in, in Joshua chapter 4, they're grabbing stones to remind themselves of the faithfulness of God. Do you see the brilliance of God? How could they forget? Well, guys, I already told you. How many of us Christians, we forget what God has done to save us? And it has an impact on what happens next in your life. Every day you face the consequences of your lack of remembrance. We constantly, constantly face it. God has never and will never do something as powerful, loving, and loving as sacrificing his son for your redemption from slavery to sin. And yet, how often do I forget When given a chance to share the gospel with others, do we get afraid? Anybody? When it comes to praying with our wife at night, do we sometimes get afraid? When we get the question about how we've moved away from God in our community groups this past week, do we hold back the last 2% because we're afraid what they might say if they heard who we really were? Does fear keep us from living generously With our time, talent, and our finances, we're afraid that God might not provide. Does fear of not understanding the Bible keep us from reading the Bible? Does fear about what others think about us keep us from living our faith publicly? Anybody yes to some of those? Yeah, me too. And all it is, friends, is we forgot that the greatest thing that could ever happen in my life is that God could save me, to take a dead man and make him alive in Jesus and then one day promise that I would enter a promised land that's nothing like the land of Canaan, so much better. And yet I doubt because some teenage barista in front of me, I'm worried about what she might think about me. No offense to you teenage baristas, but what do you, who, what do, what do, why should we care what you think in terms of heaven or your boss or your neighbor or your English teacher? Students, you hear me? Parents, we've got to remember. And we also have to remember, listen, guys, following Jesus is a real war. There's a time where you're going to get so exhausted following Jesus. It's going to be so fierce. It's going to be terrifying. It's going to wear you out. You're going to be tempted to want to quit. There's times where I go, I don't want to be these people's pastor. I don't want to do this. It's hard. It's hard enough just to lead myself. Hardest person to lead at outposts is myself. Why would I want to take on anybody else? And it's in those times, guys, you're going to need a reminder that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When you have good leadership in your life, you could do so much more. But you've got to remind yourself. And uh, the Civil War, Robert E. Lee. Anybody ever heard of Robert E. Lee? Okay. Robert E. Lee was a general in the South. And uh, regardless of what you don't, th- don't think so much about the, the slavery aspect of this, Robert E. Lee was extremely well respected by his men. Like, that's an understatement. That's an understatement. And what they loved about him, I want to read to you just a few things. They loved that he would lead by example. Anybody like it when leaders lead by example? He would lead by example. Lee was known for leading from the front and exposing himself to danger alongside his troops. He often rode to the front lines during battles, which inspired his men to see him as a true leader who shared their risks and their hardships. He is also known for his tactical skill. Unlike that Arthur Percival Lee's strategic and tactical brilliance was evident in his battlefield success. His ability to make quick decisions and adapt to changing circumstances and situations garnered the respect of his soldiers who saw him as a military genius. They also loved that he was empathetic and had concern. Isn't this crazy? This is like not usual in the military, but this is what they loved about Robert E. Lee. Lee cared deeply for his men's welfare. He would visit wounded soldiers and even take time to personally write letters of condolence to the families of fallen soldiers. This genuine concern for their well-being created a strong bond of loyalty. Number four was his personal integrity. Lee was known for his high moral character and principles. He was seen as a gentleman of honor and integrity, and his men respected him for his unwavering dedication to, their, to his beliefs and values. There's a popular anecdote, guys, that is often associated with Robert E. Lee. There's a saying that whether it's historically true or not, it became super popular, that men would at night, uh, throughout the day and at night would walk by his tent and they would salute his tent when no one was looking. In fact, at night when he was sleeping, it says they would say that people, the men would take off their boots so they wouldn't wake him up when they walked past. Isn't that crazy? Talk about honor and respect. Can I tell you right now? This book right here tells you about somebody who makes Robert E. Lee look like a scoundrel. 
look like a scoundrel. Let me walk through these things. Let's talk about, let's talk about leading by example. You want to talk about leading by example. Who's ever led by example like Jesus? Philippians 2, 5 and 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. He knew you couldn't get it. So he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's leading by example, isn't it? Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. We got a God who knows what it's like to be us. Luke 9, 23, that's why Jesus can say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Anybody want to go to spiritual war? Jesus goes, follow me. Follow me. Do what I do. Tactical skill. You know what's great? Anybody know where Robert E. Lee is right now? Anybody know? He's in the grave. He's dead. Anybody know where Napoleon is? Great tactical skills. He's dead. Huh? What about all the Mongols? You know where they are? No, not Mongs. Mongols. Tony's right there. His last name is Mong, just in case you're wondering. Not Asian at all. At least that we can tell. They're dead. Genghis Khan, dead. All the greatest tactical leaders of the world are dead. You know what? They, they could defeat enemies, defeat armies. There's one thing they couldn't beat. You know what it was? They could not beat death. Look at what it says right here. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you can fight all the wars you want, you will die. I will defeat death. Goosebumps, anybody? How about empathy and concern? Anybody have empathy and concern like Jesus? John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command you. You're my friends. How about personal integrity? Anybody got personal integrity like Jesus? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is the greatest king, commander, leader the world has ever known. He defeated the greatest enemy that we will ever face, which is death. And the great stone of remembrance for us is the resurrection stone that was rolled away from the grave. You want a stone of remembrance? Look at that stone. Historically proven, it was there, and then it wasn't. He was there, and then he wasn't. Wild. Amen, anybody? I don't know if I could set up an amen better than that. So listen, we've got to set up reminders. So I, I, wanna br I brought something up here. A, a good friend of ours, good family, friends, they gave us this, and... Uh, this right here, it says the Brooks family right there. Very sweet. Love this. Um, and then on this side right here, it says, lest you forget. And then what does that say? Joshua 3 and 4. And so in this, um, we've got some prayer requests. Some of you are on these. And uh, some of the stones that are in this box are for some of you. And uh, some things in our life. There's not a lot right now in there. We just got back at doing this, and God's not answering the prayers on these papers. Um, but we have this box, and we put this, we had it on our table. There was an argument about whether it went with our feng shui or whatever. And then finally, as the man of my house, I said, okay, enough of that. This is going on the table. And so we put this on our table. If you come over to our house right now, you'll see this on our table. Put it in the middle. And once a week, we take out these prayers that we have. These are like, these are big things and wild things. And we say, all right, if God answers one of these, you're going to take it. We throw it in the trash. We go out of the yard, and we grab a rock. I got a lot of rocks in my yard right now, so it's easy. 
and we'd go grab a rock, and we'd, pull, we'd take those, and we'd take them, and we'd drop them in the box, and then we'd celebrate God's faithfulness as we put it in our box. Listen, guys, I'm not, I'm not trying to elevate, say that I'm a Joshua right now, and I'm not trying to tell you I'm good at this, but I'm just saying somebody in my life said, hey, this is really important, and you need to do this, and I'm finally catching on three years later. This is important. And I can't wait till this thing is covered with rocks, so big it's, my kids can't pick it up. We'll go dump it in the yard and go, let's do it again. Friends, maybe that's for you. Maybe you get a box like this. Maybe there's a part, uh, some spot in your yard. I've heard people doing that. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, whatever it is for you. But whatever you can do, finding ways to celebrate what God has done and commemorate it in a way that you can walk past it every day and go, man, that's a reminder. My God's got me. And there's already been moments where Bonnie or me, we feel anxious, and I go, hey, look at the box. Remember what God's done for us? All right. Let's just pray about this. And if God wants to answer, he'll answer it. But our God's a God who can get us through. You understand? So I want to tell you, when you guys go to leave and you go get your kids out of kids' ministry, I want you all to talk about, hey, how can we begin to celebrate what God is doing more in our lives? Listen, we've got plenty of rocks around here. It might be a good idea to do rocks. Can you begin to stack, stack up rocks somewhere in your yard, just big old rocks you've got to put on your shoulder? You drop it and you get your family around you, pray and go, this is another reminder, guys, what God has done in our life. Your kid gives his life to Jesus, go get you a big old rock, drop it somewhere in your yard. When somebody comes by and go, why you got this rock right here? Because that's my daughter right there. She gave her life to Jesus. That's what remind me my God saves. Amen? That's what we got to do. And that's why it's so important, because it's important for the next generation. Joshua 4, 5 and 7 says, it says, and Joshua said, pass, pass on before the ark of the Lord the God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each one of you a, a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. Look what it says next. When your children ask in a time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Do you hear that? What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Our children need us older men and women to tell them the stories of what God has done. We, our, a lot of our kids don't want to follow Jesus because it doesn't look like it was ever real for us. We, had, we don't tell any stories. We just teach them Bible facts, which is good. But sometimes we got to tell them about how the facts have changed our life. You can go, Olivia, I need to tell you something, man. This is what God has done right here. You hear this? This is what God did in our life. We trusted him and did this. Oh, God, you know what? Olivia, I need to tell you. Here's where daddy did not trust the Lord, and here's the scar to prove it. I want to tell you, you don't need to have this scar. Trust the Lord. Do you hear me? It's for the next generation. Are we a church that cares about the next generation? Let's stack up stones in front of them. And when they say, hey, what does this mean to you, Dad? Go, ah, can't wait to tell you. Let me tell you that story. This uh, past three days, the reason why I read a lot of my message, the past three days, I had my great aunt and uncle in town. And they just told me story after story after story after story uh, of their life. It's amazing. 75 years is a long time. Right? They were my age in the, like the 50s. I was like, what? Tell me about it. You know, did you have cars? You know, what was it like? Did the microwave exist? Right? So it was just wild, and they're telling me stories of God's faithfulness. Hey, guys, I, wanna, I would tell you stories from them, but I want to read to you something that for me, this little piece of paper is kind of a stone of remembrance that the next generation really matters. This is from our dear friend, uh, Brooklyn Williams. Anybody know Brooklyn? She's turning super red right now. It's just her skin complexion when she gets nervous. Okay, she can't help it. Um, she wrote, listen, I want to show you this, adults, we have something to learn from the next generation, and they are picking things up. This is amazing. Dear Mr. Addison Heritage, this is a resignation letter from serving because she's going to college to be a follower of Jesus. This letter is to give you two weeks' notice of my official resignation as older high school girls community group leader fourth and fifth grade girls Sunday teacher and coolest member of the Williams family here at Outpost. <laughs> Number one, she serves in two places in this church, high school student. She said, the word of God says that? All right, I'm going to do it. Also, she's, she is the coolest in the Williams family. <laughs> my final day in these roles, listen to this, my final day in these roles will be July, or uh, sorry, August 16th, the day before I leave for Laradice. It, it has been a pleasure 
to, uh, to do God's work with you, and I am so grateful to have been given the opportunity for these past few years. I loved the summit weekends in some of the base camps. Being as I will be seven hours away, it would be futile to continue my position in these roles. I feel I wouldn't be able to consistently do a good job, but I am more than willing to help if needed. I would be happy to train the next person if that makes the transition any easier. Some of you have quit real jobs in worse ways than this. This is, Brooklyn, I'm so proud of you. This is a great stone of remembrance, guys. Faithfulness does not know an age. Now, I also have to commemorate some other things that she says in here. Less valuable, but just as important. Mama always told me to leave things better than I found them. So here are some notes I would like to share. Number one, she wrote this to Addison just as context. Everyone might treat you better if you had better taste in shoes. (laughs) It's very hard to take you seriously when you have a foot wedgie or are twinning with Greg. (laughs) Number two, don't be embarrassed that you have a girl's name. Think about it this way. You will probably be the only male Addison people will ever meet, and that's pretty neat. (laughs) And I won't read the last one. It's funny, but it'll be distracting. So here, guys, (sighs) friends, let's follow Brooklyn as she follows Christ. Right? Brooklyn is saying, as for me and this college student, I will follow the Lord. And she is a living stone of remembrance for me. God's doing something here. Let's pray he keeps it up. God, I love you and I thank you. We all do. We're all thankful in this room. But Jesus, that stone rolled away. And I pray that stone will be a constant remembrance, a constant celebration in our hearts. I pray that in this room, if we've forgotten today about how good you've been to us, how kind you've been, even in the midst of trial, like Corey Timboom, who faced hardships, remembering that our God saved us. God, if we've forgotten, I pray your grace would be on us. That we just, we just experience your grace and forgiveness this morning. But I also pray that we'd experience your Holy Spirit's inspiration to want to live faithfully because of what you've done. This song we're about to sing, Lord, God, is to praise you. And you deserve this praise. May your children and their voices be raised to you with all their hearts and Christ's name.